0: Hey, it's so good to be back with you. Missing two Sundays—that's like a, I don't know, some kind of record for me because I hardly ever get sick. But I really uh, appreciated those of you who prayed and those of you who checked in. It's so good to be with you this morning. And if you're with us online, thank you for joining us. Um, we love having you. And it's technology is wonderful. I got to watch live stream, so I didn't really miss the the service. I missed the people right? Um, but I was still able to experience a little bit of it. And we're so grateful. And we're grateful to you who are watching online this morning. We invite you to post and, and comment and uh, participate in some of the experiences that we'll have um, through this message. So welcome, everyone. So good to be with you. Uh, you know, I get to do the third one, transform being before doing. And um, today, I just want to Uh, start with a little story. Jared and I have been preparing for an adventure, Tour de Mont Blanc. This is a hiking 112 miles around the peak, which is in the Alps, and we'll traverse through France, Italy, and Switzerland in the process. Now, each day, we hike up uh, uh, into a watershed and back down and to another one. And those elevation gains are 3,500 to 4,500 elevation gain. So the ups are really ups, and the downs are really downs. I don't know about you. How many would find it easier to go downhill than uphill? How many of you would say, no, I like uphill? Yeah, that's, that's me. Because that persistent downhill is where it can really tear your feet up, uh, your knees. Well, maybe not you guys. I'm a high-mileage unit, so... I'm still going to be doing that, but that's what we're going to be doing. And so we've been getting our lists from the company that we're going with. We received a list of what to wear and gear that we would need, and um, and stuff that we'd take for the just in case moments. Um, we also received a six months preparation note just recently. Email. From them. And it was about the best way to prepare for the trip, um, which didn't have anything to do with the gear or anything. It had to do with doing two consecutive hikes, two consecutive days in a row each week, preferably with nice elevation gain and then followed by descent. Well, we already have most of the gear and the clothing already, right? But the most important and the hardest prep is what? Getting these bodies strong enough and with enough stamina. Um, and healthy enough to to take these hikes day after day after day, and um, when you do this, also includes uh, losing 20 pounds each. Now that wasn't in the literature. That's what Jared and I did. Having done a lot of backpacking, we know the pounds that you can't get rid of on the trail. There is no downloading of a weight, extra weight that you're carrying. So we we set that goal for ourselves. Well, you know, I'm like. I don't know about you, but I'd rather focus on getting the right clothes and the right gear (laughs) and those trekking poles. Yeah, exactly. Um, But um, we know that when we set out, we can lay our packs down, take a little break, and continue walking. And we can also lighten our load along the way, right? I'm, I'm picturing here the Oregon Trail experience. Okay, if your kids played that in fourth grade or if you just know your history, you know the people on the Oregon Trail were dumping stuff right and left. They're getting ready to ford a river and their wagons were too heavy, out. They chucked stuff out. And um, it's, I was, I was kind of picturing us doing that along the way. Only there's only so much you can chuck, right? You've got to keep your water and you've got to have a food source. And so, what we can't suddenly do is get our muscles and our feet ready to trek that many miles, a lot of miles every day, and uh, going up and down that much. And we can't get rid of any weight that we take with us on our bodies at that time, other than what might happen through exercise. So this is the thing. This, the inside of us is more important than the clothing and the gear and all the paraphernalia we'll take, right? It, it, that's where the transformation really has to happen first in order to be successful at at this. And really the same is true for Jesus. It's not the externals, the things that sometimes we spend a lot of time focusing on. It is about the interior of us, who we are versus what we can do. Um, that matters because you bring who you are to whatever you do. So when you decide to follow Jesus, you brought your story, your package, what, you, what has happened in your life to that point, how you've responded to it, all of that. And that's what I mean. You say, I said this to our kids all the time growing up. You bring who you are to whatever you do. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be a missionary at your college. You know, you're going to bring who you are to that. And so you know, that's, a, that's a true statement about an emotionally healthy disciple but when we do that you can only give what you've received that's a part of it and but we all struggle with is being before doing if we're really honest with ourselves and i want to talk about just a few of the things that keep us from putting the the being before the doing and i want you to think do any of these sound familiar now before you do that i want you to just notice that this is coming from a woman who has journals that say things like make things happen today is a good day to change the world i could have brought many others but they all have to do with one thing acting i'm an activator and so doing um you know is my default And each of us has a default. Um, We might not recognize it. Maybe by the end of this time, we will. But let let me just mention a couple of these reasons. One is this, an overgrown sense of responsibility. Now, if you've ever taken Strength Finders 2.0, and even if you haven't, you can identify yourself in this. Um, But if you have that strength of responsibility, you're you're going to come through on the things you commit, commit to. But the thing is, that person in a group setting where there's other people now and other things to be done, If the group isn't getting it done, what do they do? They get it done for the group, right? They take responsibility for the whole. And and it's their favorite saying, it's up to me. It's up to me. That's what they feel. That's what they sense. And that can lead them to more doing than being. And it can also lead them to do things that God doesn't really have in store for them to do. And then uh, that has results in our lives, And so all of these five that we're going to mention have to do with how many yeses and no's you give to other people and to the needs around you. So let's look at the next one. It's people pleaser. This one has to do with who your audience of significance is. Okay, and I can remember the uh, first time that I became acutely aware of um, the potential for people pleasing. Um, It should have been when we started pastoring, but I didn't really feel it through that. But I did um, when I got pregnant. Because everybody has opinions about what you need to do, what you need to eat, how much sleep you need to get, you name it. There's opinions about it. And then when you have the baby, it's even more, more uh, opinions. There's even more feedback for you. The sleep schedule, the feeding schedule, what they should eat, when they should start this, when they're not starting this, this piece of equipment. No, not that piece of equipment. You're going to kill your baby with that one. I mean, it all comes out, right? Right. And now there's even more of that, I would say, than then. But I still, there was a lot of that. And I can remember bringing Jordan home and then about four days into it, um, having received m- many pieces of advice and just asking myself. And I really felt like the Lord said, Ann, who's your audience of significance with your parent? It's, it's you, Lord. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, take, sift the wisdom through what I'm asking you to do because this is who we're going to stand before We're going to stand before Jesus for our parenting. We're not going to stand before our friends and before our family. And so it's not that we ignore advice. It's that we sift it through the grid of what Jesus is saying for us. And that can happen in marriage and anything else in our lives. So this people-pleasing can cause us to say yes to a lot of things we shouldn't and know to some things that we should. And then there's the pride or the confusion about where our value comes from. And even after we know Jesus, we get confused about this. And I am a performance girl, and I, uh, I'm a typical overachiever. And so I, I went for it. I had to get straight A's. I, you know, all those kinds of things are really important. A swimmer, I had to be good at it. I, you just that's, that's my personality is to, to work for stuff. And uh, truthfully, um, if you live in America, you have a little bit of this in you. Because what is the American dream? The American dream is epitomized by the triumph of the will. That is what's behind it. The triumph not of God's will, the triumph of my will. It's just if you have a dream, you work hard enough, you can have all this too. You will achieve it. Right? It's a, it's a nice idea, but it's not necessarily a God idea. It's not necessarily God-driven. It's not about what he has for us. And this being before doing, we have to understand that our value comes from Jesus, and we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Then the fourth one is empathy for others, which is a wonderful thing, right? It's actually a part of being an emotionally healthy disciple, to be able to feel what others are feeling, to acknowledge their feelings as well. And to sit with them in that moment and not have to try to fix people, give answers for people. That's all part of empathy. But empathy for others without healthy boundaries results in a lot of doing that we maybe shouldn't be doing. Because what we do is when we hear their story, we think that we're the answer. We're the person that's supposed to be the one to help. And healthy boundaries help us determine that. And where do those boundaries come from? From being with Jesus yeah so that brings us to the last one and I think everybody's experienced this at some level and that's this that it's easier to do than to be in the short term it's easier doing than being why is that well I like to say because the hardest person to face sometimes is ourselves and being is all about facing ourselves it's not what the other guy is doing or not doing. It's about what I'm doing or not doing. It's about who I'm becoming. And so this easier in the short term. And I say this a lot when, I'm, when we're talking with people and they're sharing with me their realization. And say, you know, denial is a deep river. And we all swim in it. Don't we? Denial is one of our coping mechanisms so that we don't have to look at something that's going to be difficult. That's going to be complicated at the very least, and might require us to take some steps that we're not really comfortable doing. Um, So I want to give us a few minutes, two minutes, and uh, you got a little sheet as you came in, and it's a little self-assessment. These are six markers of a person who is uh, strong in being before doing. And each of these statements, I want you to rate yourself from one to five. This is all about a self-evaluation for your purposes, for moving forward with Jesus. Scale of one to five, one is low, five is the highest. So we're going to have some soft music, and I invite you to fill that out. If anybody's missing yours, raise your hand, and the ushers will bring one to you. Yep, right here, right here, right over here. We're coming for you. I'm here. you and right here. Right here. So you can save these, and uh, you might refer to them in our reflection at the end, but you can also take them home with you as a source of uh, future prayer and examination. So Jesus understood that doing adds nothing to our standing with God, not just for us, but for him as well. And we're going to take a look. He, the father reinforced this at his baptism. And this is the first scripture that God used to really get me going. In um, moving away from my performance mentality into the being mentality when I was a freshman in college. It says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is then John consented. He said, okay. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Well, At this point in time, Jesus had spent 30 years, approximately 30 years, being a son to Mary and Joseph, being a carpenter, following in his dad's footsteps, probably a part of it was learning the trade, and then just growing up in the village of Nazareth. He had not performed any miracles. He hadn't spoke before any crowds. He hadn't led any groups of people prior to this baptism or fulfilled his life's purpose to go to the cross for us. Yet listen to what God said about him. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son. You belong. Whom I love. You are loved right now. With whom I am well pleased. You are pleasing to me. Jesus knew who he was, that he was loved, and that his father was pleased with him before he ever start launched out into all the things that we think make him pretty special. Right? We think of the miracles he did. We think of the crowds he taught. We think of the rejects and outcasts of society that he spent time with. But his father started with this You are my son, dearly loved, and with you I'm well pleased. And if we can capture that in our own lives, Jesus after he started public ministry, Dr. Luke says that he observed him, and this was his habit. See, so he summarizes what Jesus' habit was in Luke 5:16. and Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When upsetting things happened or were about to happen, where did you find Jesus? Jesus had a habit of being with his father first. So Matthew 14 is the story of John the Baptist, or in that chapter, you'll find the story of John the Baptist's death, and it was a violent death. He was beheaded, and his head was brought out on a platter to Herod's birthday party to prove they had done the wishes of the daughter of Herod's wife. All of this over because they were mad about him preaching at them and saying how they were living wasn't right. So it was a totally unjust death. Jesus gets news of it, and what does he do? It says that he got into a boat and withdrew to a private place. That's what Jesus liked to do when he saw that things had happened or were about to happen. And you and I don't need to work for God to belong or to be loved, or to be pleasing to him. He already loves you. He's already chosen you, and he's already pleased with you. It's like the song that we learned today. It's why we wanted to sing that one today. He is enough. You cannot add to what he's already done. He's already made up his mind about all of us. And so we don't have to then build a performance list. Maybe you grew up in church when you were little with the gold stars on the attendance. Some of those things that make us feel like we're more loved, like we're more accepted, like we're more included. But that's not how it is. You see, Jesus modeled and shared his being before doing with his very first disciples right at the beginning. It says after he spent a whole night in prayer, here's what he did. Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus, first of all, chose the disciples to be with him. Then they were sent to do for him. Being before doing. Relationship before tasks. He knew, Jesus knew, that they could only give what they had received. And so he made sure that the relationship happened first and was happening all alongside of the doing, even after they started participating with him. So what had the disciples seen Jesus do the night before he selected them? A night with his father on the mountain. And that's not the only all-nighter that he pulled. You see, they actually saw over the course of the next several years several other all-nighters with his father, and they always preceded big events and we know that when we look at where was Jesus the night he was betrayed, he was extremely distressed. He was in anguish. It says he was sorrowful in his soul. He was with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane processing what was about to happen to him. And guess what? His processing did not include um, positive confession This is going to be great, God. I know we're going to conquer sin and death this way. No, that's not what he was saying at that point. He had told his disciples that was all going to be the result, but that is not what he was saying. He was processing what he was feeling. In fact, so much so, they said, if there's any other way, this might be accomplished, but not my will, your will be done. He wasn't afraid to sweat tears of blood. He was was willing to lay it all out there with God. He didn't try to paint it pretty like we might try, or like sometimes we feel like we have to try when we're not feeling so great. Being before doing, being with his father was the fuel for everything that he did. And emotionally healthy disciples focus on being before doing. So now we ask the question, at least I do, so how can I focus more? How can I grow in my being before doing? Because the truth is, I doubt that anybody gave themselves all fives on that little assessment. And if you did, you should be up here sharing that with us, You know your, your secrets about that. That's awesome. But most of us haven't. Most of us are on a journey with this. And so, Peter Scazzaro shows four ways that we can grow. He talks about four ways. I want to unpack those four ways in a bit more personal way. And so, first one is this. Make a radical decision to end our addiction to doing or to tasks first. We're talking about changing a habit, though, and we all know what that means, right? Right now, your life is perfectly designed to get the scores you gave yourself on that little assessment. And the only way those scores will change is if you decide that you want to grow. In this, That you want to have more being in your life. You want to have it more, bring those two more into balance. And the first step to shifting the weight of your life toward being before doing is making the decision that you're going to change something. And so ch- sharing that decision with another person can be the best thing you could ever do. Because when we share those decisions, there's accountability, but there's also encouragement. There's also just those little checkups. You know, sometimes we always think of accountability as You didn't do it. No, it's more that thing of, hey, how's it going for you? And then what tripped you up this week or today? And talking about that. So we miss a great thing when we're not willing to share it with another person. And we all know that once we make a decision, the next thing we need is a plan because we've learned on habits that making the decision is only one step. It's an important one. But if we don't have a plan, we probably won't make the change that we need to. And that brings us to this second one, which is let yourself feel the feelings. That might surprise you. Emotionally healthy discipleships allow them disciples allow themselves to feel the feelings. That's what Jesus was doing, and so being aware of your feelings is all about knowing not just what you feel, but what your weaknesses are, what your limits are, and how your past is impacting your present. How your past story is influencing what you do now. Now I know that a lot of you know that Jared and I have said on multiple occasions emotions are not reliable indicators of God's will, and we stand by that. That's true. They're not a standalone means of discerning God's will. They can be supported with other expressions that God gives us—words, Scripture, those kinds of things, uh, counselors, mentors, etc. But they are not standalone by themselves. But the thing they are very good indicators of is your authentic self. Now. When I hear authentic self, sometimes I think, okay, that sounds like a really hip phrase, your authentic self. What are we saying there? I'm just talking about who you are right now in your journey, not who you aspire to be, not who you were last year, not who you were on your best day, but where you're at right now. That's what we're talking about. That's about authenticity, not the coulda, shoulda, woulda anne but that this is where I'm at right now, Lord, Anne. Peter Scazzaro said it this way. Authentic spirituality is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. You know, lest you think that that he's the only one who said that, Abraham showed us this. If you read Romans 4, 16 through 20, you're going to see Abraham face the facts that he was too old for a child and that Sarah was not only too old, but she was also barren, so double whammy there. But then they considered the promise of God. So they, they weren't afraid. And what I want you to know out of that, facing the facts, facing reality, facing who you are right now in this moment, does not negate faith. No matter what you discover you are in this moment, how difficult that might be. It does not negate faith. That means it does not negate what God thinks of you. He does not change his mind. Oh, boy. Whoa, she's a doozy. How'd we get that one? In God's eyes, you're fully accepted, fully loved, even in that moment. So I ask myself, though, how do I become more aware of my feelings? I mean, I was raised a good Scandinavian. Okay, so you can ask yourself some difficult why questions. Why am I in a hurry? Why am I so impatient? They had to begin with these two, right, for an activator. Why am I so impatient? What is it that anxiety that I'm feeling all about? Why am I so angry and defensive with that person? Why do I avoid conflicts? Why did I react so strongly to that remark or that behavior from that person? So those questions often get us at what we're feeling, but then we need to ask some processing questions because it's not just about this is what I feel and then vomit it all over somebody. It's about what do I feel? What does that mean? What does what I'm feeling right now mean? What is God up to in this? What does he want to show me here? And how should I proceed? Now, and lest you think that this is like a, okay, questionnaire, God, blip, 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 I'm through it. This is a process, and so I'm just giving you questions that you can ask in the process. And sometimes I have to sit with the Lord for, I mean, six days in a row, seven days in a row, and I'm still thinking about that one area because I, it's a complicated. It's complicated, and he's got to peel back the layers me. And so you don't have to feel bad if that's the case. That's what it's all about. Not just feeling the feelings, becoming aware of them. Now I need to process them and process them with Jesus, with God, just like Jesus did with his father. So a couple months ago, Jared and I were driving the back roads to Camas um, to watch our granddaughter, Julia, play in a big soccer tournament. And that was really exciting for us. But we were stopped at this stoplight, where I noticed that there was this bar, and the bar had this big sign on top of its roof that said, breakfast bar. I thought, what? Really? Does that, do those really belong in the same sentence? I mean, bars, the bar atmosphere doesn't make me hungry for breakfast. I'll just put it that way. So, I, I thought that was really interesting advertising, but Mind you, my mind started whirling with thoughts, specifically memories that I hadn't thought about for a long time. You see, growing up, I can remember summers of riding the bus home from bean picking. I know ancient practice, but riding the bus home from bean picking and looking at the parking lots of the bars that we crossed from Lebanon to Sweet Home till we got off the bus. And what was I looking for? I was looking for my dad's pickup to see if he was drinking. What was I trying to assess? I was trying to determine if he was going to come home drunk that night, trying to get a read on what the night held. And then I would look to see what time it was when he got home, and I'd always look to see the time it was when I saw his pickup. You see, when I got a little older and I was driving, I'd drive through town even on weekends or weekdays of running errands, do the same thing. Checking out the bars all along the way. It wasn't. It was a habit. It was automatic. Looking for his pickup. So in the past, I would have ignored these thoughts and memories, but not this time. You see, I'd been reading this book. It's called What Happened to You? And it's a book by a neuroscientist, and he's looking at how early trauma um, creates neural pathways and responses in our limbic system that get set in place And I began sharing with Jared what was going through my mind. I mean, my heart wasn't beating. I wasn't crying. It wasn't any of that. It's just I wanted to acknowledge them. I told them about that, and we thought out loud together about what were some other triggers for those kinds of memories. Well, I began noticing what were other triggers and that made me react internally to people's use of, conversations about, and stories involving alcohol consumption. Now, notice that I said internally. You see, I was really good at compartmentalization. I was really good about taking those feelings, not saying anything to the people I was with because I've been with many people while they're drinking. But I set those feelings aside and just compartmentalize and keep going through that evening. But I had this discomfort the whole time. The thing is, that's a coping mechanism, but it's not meant to be a way of life, right? Right? Jesus wanted to show me something. So remember Peter's statement? Authentic spirituality is not an escape from reality but an absolute commitment to it. Jesus was showing me this. I've been on a long journey to be the authentic version of myself. Feeling the feelings, paying attention to them and processing them is the first step more on my story later because we want to dive into the next part of our plan if we want to grow in being before doing, and that is integrate silence into our um, time with the Lord. Silence is all about letting go so that we make room for God. What are we letting go of? We're letting go of distractions. We're letting go of anger. We're letting go of worries. We're letting go of plans that we've made. And it's a way of unjamming our inner worlds. Think unjamming as in traffic jams, not the jam you eat. Okay, when we were living in Los Angeles, driving in L.A., we, we took the 405 a lot. And the 405, we had a name for it. It's the parking lot. It's kind of like uh, this. This is daytime. This is nighttime. The thing about a traffic jam is that all the motors are running, but nobody's going anywhere. And that's what happens, friends, when we decide to live with traffic jams instead of clearing them. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to in integrating silence into our being with him. So our inner world can become this parking lot of issues and worries and distractions. And when we clear our hearts and minds in the presence of Jesus, just to listen, just to sit with him, just to let him speak to us about those things, to have relief, to rest. And we can let go of all that internal traffic. So me being the person that I am, the doer that I am, I needed something to help me stop and be silent. And um, I use a tool, an app called Soul Space, and I decided to use that today with us. So I'm going to ask you to set aside your stuff, to close your eyes, and we're going to listen for 2 minutes and 25 seconds. We're just going to stop and be
1: silent. Welcome to Soul Space, the place to anchor your thoughts to the love of God. Settle into a comfortable position and let your whole body relax into this moment. Let go of anxious thoughts and any stress you are carrying today and just breathe and be. Gently bring your awareness to your breathing, following each inhale and exhale from start to finish. If thoughts zoom in to distract you, That's okay. That's just called thinking. Simply notice them and let them move on their way. You can get back to them when this time of meditation is over. truth we need to embrace in order to understand how fully loved we are by God is that he is not stuck in the past in the way we often are our failures and mistakes are in the past our successes and triumphs are in the past we are here now On this very day, with all the grace we need to do exactly what God has created and called us to do.
0: So thank you for taking those few minutes. You know, most of us need uh, a tool of some kind, Uh, whether it's it's something on your phone that you can uh, alarm that you can set, but. Finding a space in the day to be silent. Um, remember when I said that the hardest person is to face sometimes is ourselves? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does and helps us with when we integrate silence into our time with him. You know, doing can be a way of ignoring what's going on inside of us. But the Holy Spirit wants to show you things about yourself so that you can address it. So in my story of my breakfast bar experience um, a few months ago, I needed to examine the emotions um, to see how my past was impacting my present. I didn't do that at a soccer game, right? I didn't stop right there. I watched her, her soccer game and cheered her on. But the next morning, I spent some time with Jesus, sitting and thinking about this incident with him. And the Holy Spirit... One ancient writer has called him the great archaeologist who digs through the layers of our life. I love that. Showed me that being around people who are drinking makes me feel unsafe and on guard, just like when I was with uh, when I was a child. In my mind I think what could happen next? What might happen next? And I go into high alert mode. Now I understand why I am uncomfortable when being with people who are drinking alcohol and it has nothing to do with them nor the amounts of alcohol they are or are not consuming. It has everything to do with my brain being wired for many years at a young age to see that as a very unsafe environment. And you don't just turn those switches off, people. This is why Jesus, to transform me, is gracious through his Holy Spirit to dig through the layers of my life and show me that after all these years and all these encounters with people. But at just the right time, I trust that. So in my case, this was about how my past impacts my present. But maybe for you, there's something in your life, and God's trying to show you about your your limits. Maybe for you, he's looking at something um, where you need to see What is what your future holds, and how you've kept a lid on that. The Holy Spirit helps us in those moments of silence. And emotionally healthy disciples integrate silence into their lives to make room for the Holy Spirit to dig through those layers and bring about real transformation. And that brings us to the fourth and final one. Commune with Jesus throughout the day. And this one, I mean, Peter Cazero said it that way, but this comes straight from Jesus himself. Jesus says it to us in John 15, 4 and 5. He says these words, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Those aren't unfamiliar words. Remain, it means to stay, to abide, to dwell, make your home there. Well, it'll always mean stay to me, and it always brings up the memory of my mom's dog, Sadie. Okay, Sadie was with us in Los Angeles. And Sadie was a little escape artist. She loved to roam free uh, versus a leash if she could. And so she had uh, these moments where she would try to escape. Somebody maybe coming in the front door recklessly without shutting it immediately or something like that. But the thing is, Sadie had one command down it was not come, friends. It was not. You could not say, come, and she would turn from her running. No, no, no. But she had this one command, stay. So we'd say, Sadie, stay. And she'd stop right there in her tracks. She'd sit down, and she'd just wait for us to come and pick her up. It was awesome. The one command that she had. We could get her to stop in her tracks with that, and then we'd reconnect. But this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, and even us today, stay. Stay. He's saying, if you only get one thing right, you can get this right, and it'll fix everything. I mean, it will feed everything else, being before doing. So stay, stay connected to me. Jesus is telling his disciples and letting you and I know that our connection to him, our interaction with him, is essential for fruitfulness and every good thing. And this is the thing, when we see fruitfulness in the Bible my experience is that a lot of people think fruit of fruitfulness just as in i say you know 10 people came to christ through my life this last week that all fruitfulness is related to that now fruitfulness is across our life productiveness in our work effectiveness in that in the friendships being able to be fruitful in relationships, on the job, in our neighborhood, fruitful in our neighborhoods, being able to connect well with people, meet them where they're at—it's this full-orbed fruitfulness. It is the life, the the abundant life that He talks about in John ten ten that He came to give us. So this fruitfulness is far-reaching, and includes those other things, in, including being with Him. So. That makes me ask, what does it look like then to commune with Jesus throughout the day? Because most of us read 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, pray without ceasing. Okay, that's aspirational, right? That's what we think. I mean, most of us say that as more aspirational. Oh, I want to pray without ceasing. So how does that happen, that we pray without ceasing? Do I just drop whatever I'm doing, find a private place, and start a conversation? That's not very doable. If I'm a mom with a baby on my hip and a toddler having a meltdown at my feet, you know, that's not going to happen. If I'm that kid and I'm going to my next class at school, and on the way, walking down the hall for that class, a friendship goes south on me, what am I going to do, drop to my knees by the lockers? You know, head to the cafeteria, hope I can slip in there before lunch and be alone. No, that's probably not how that's going to work. W- what about the call that I got from my kid's teacher asking me to come and meet with them? And I'm on my way there now. How does communing with Jesus throughout your day work there? Well, I want to ask all of you for a show of hands. How many of you talk to yourself or to others at some point during the day? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every, everybody usually does that. Well, I want to let you know that communing with Jesus throughout the day is like that, only better. It's like that. We He doesn't need to hear us out loud all the time. We can think what we're asking him for, and he'll hear it. Lord, you know, you hear my thoughts. I mean, I'm thinking this in my head. You know we really need you. That, that meeting's going south. We're lost. We're, we've gotten off track, or this relationship is about to blow up, and it's affecting the whole team, or whatever it might be. My friendship just went south. God, would you just help me get through this next class, and then we can talk about this? Anyway, just, it's just that conversation, that ongoing conversation that we keep with him so that when we get bad news or good news, when we have a difficult challenge or a task, Um, that comes our way when we're heading into that next Zoom meeting or taking that next phone call, that we can pivot and adjust. Not just charge in there and be our blustering selves and do it without any thought for how God might want to intervene. So communing with Jesus throughout the day is about being mindful of him and making room for him across our day to listen and receive and be present with him. And it takes practice to have a habit. Now, I want to be like Sadie this year. I want to be that stay is the command that I have down in my life with Jesus. Stay with him. Commune with him. And I invite you to join me in that. What if you and I made a radical commitment to being before doing? What if you allowed yourself to feel the feels but not stop there? Really process where those are coming from and let Jesus talk with you about them. Imagine the transformation that could happen in our lives. What if you integrated moments of silence in your day and you could have a revelation like I did about why I'm uncomfortable around people that are drinking? That matters. I want to love everybody. What if you begin connecting with Jesus throughout your day very intentionally, practicing an awareness of him like you'd practice a new sport, a new dance, a new hobby, a new skill? That's what he's inviting us to. I have good news for you. Transformation, being transformed is not just for one season of life. Jesus is committed. It says that he who began the good work in you will complete it. Until the day of Christ, the day Jesus arrives. He's committed to you. He's committed to me. I'm still being transformed. I think it's exciting when he shows me something new, shows me who I am more effectively so that I can be changed, I can be transformed. I invite you into that journey this year as we explore being emotionally healthy disciples. Would you join me in that journey? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that we are already chosen, already loved, already pleasing. Lord, we can't do anything to our standing with you through the things that we haven't accomplished yet, or through the things that we do. And so, Lord, we just rest today. We leave this place resting and saying, Lord, we wanna be with you more. We wanna stay more. Would you help us this week to be more like Sadie? To keep that stay command top in our mind. We keep coming to you, sitting with you, Not so we can do a thousand things, but so you can speak to us, can speak into our lives and transform us. Thank you, Lord, for your rest, for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I just pray this would be an incredible start to some deep transformation for all of us to become more like you, more fruitful than ever before in all the ways that we've dreamed of. In Jesus' name, amen.